0: The following speaker share from TD was recorded on September 15th, 2022. Hi guys, I'm TD. Touchdown is my nickname from a part of my life, which I thought was really fun. It sort of got shortened to touch, um, which is cute too. So I am definitely an ACA member and I just wanna thank uh, Gretchen for inviting me and Dottie and to all of you who do service at this meeting I cannot express to you enough or emphasize enough how important ACA has been as a part of my life story. There is no chance you would be able to tell it without talking about this material and all of you. So having said that, uh, I will tell you a little bit about me. So I grew up in a little town in Kansas. My parents were uh, we were a parents were teachers, and they were doubly mastered and degreed. Uh, So that meant I was home a lot alone as a child, uh, taking care of my little brothers, and I became that hero of the family in this dysfunctional family. My mother was more of my qualifier. She seemed to me to be jealous of me from day one, I've come to understand that's possibly and likely because she as an adult child herself, felt really rejected by her father. He was also, he was abusive physically to me. She will not admit that he was ever abusive to her, but I think it's literally impossible that her denial is really that heavy. So instead of dealing with that recovering, she chose to uh, continue it towards me and my brother. So we suffered physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, anyone that's physically abused knows that the rest of those abuses come along with it for certain. And, uh, you know, the body keeps the score, the body remembers, I have uh, times of violence that just comes through my body that just makes no sense. And the i not violent thank god and i've been able to find sports even in my childhood to really help me with that things such as tennis where there's aggression and you don't hurt anybody unless you accidentally hit them but uh and then there you know the other sports like boxing or uh things that don't include physical contact too much um have really helped me with that and my brother being a abused as well in our home was his role became the re- rebel. So the don't talk, don't trust, don't feel role was very strong for us, as I know it is in all of these kinds of families. Um, it was really intense for us because we were public figures. So the press was around, my father would could possibly be in the paper. I was in the paper the most of our family for different reasons that had to do with music and honor rolls and sports and things like that. So that was the way that I found my place in the family, this incredible need to be needed and, uh, you know, to secure my feelings inside of the family, to know that I wasn't, I don't know, going to get booted out. I'm not sure where that fear came in, but I was sexually molested as uh, before the age of three by a friend of the family. Uh, Thank God he left around the time of five but the damage had been done so my ability to survive these kinds of traumas was to really disassociate and i learned that very young i called it the there was the me td and then there was the bad td and that was the part that took abuse and that was the part that i blamed for whatever wrong might have happened, which was pretty innocent, like who ate all the cookies out of the cookie jar. Um, my first earliest childhood memory is being terrified of my mother running for her from her with the eyes that I could only describe as a cat. My childhood understanding was to think of it like watching Sesame Street when the count came on, I felt afraid because he was scary and a Dracula. And there was like, you know, time to count. So when I was really afraid as a child in these abuse situations, I thought, oh, it's just time to count. I really genuinely thought as I'm knowing nothing about this planet or being a little adult, that this is what it meant. So I would count things as I was being abused And I ended up, I'm a songwriter, I ended up writing about that. And the line was, uh, Count Dracula taught me on Sesame Street. If something scary's going down, it's time to count. One, two, three, and four steps left to the basement door. This helps the brain to disown the pain and wrote about feeling like a little mouse. And this cat was always going to chase me. The verbal abuse that i suffered was like comments like, "Uh, I don't know what's wrong with you. There's something wrong with you from the minute I held you in my arms. Why did you have to turn out to be a blonde? All I ever wanted was a brunette. Why do you like to play with teddy bears when I wanted you to like dolls? I mean, it was, for me as a child, I felt like just rejection, rejection, something is wrong with you. Why do you like the things you like? It's not good enough. Um, all of those things. Meanwhile, my father was an alcoholic. He was drafted in Vietnam and he was 24 years old. Didn't So he didn't run off to Canada. He took a it up. And it was really hard for him to be 24 amongst a lot of 18 year olds that were fearless and thought that they could fall asleep when on watch. Uh, That was really hard for him. He told me the stories. He chose to self-medicate with alcohol. And he had some funny things to say about that. Like, it's just beer. It's not, I'm not drinking (laughs) (laughs) I saw that on a movie the other day I just was able to laugh about it. okay sure and chickens not meat what else (laughs) the Pope isn't Catholic what's happening here so I want to share with you I'm a little nervous to share this with you I but because I haven't shared this publicly yet but I'd like to can someone tell me where I'm at in my time so I can keep an eye on it please is anyone timing me? Am I meant to time myself? No, you can go to the top of the hour. So you got about 45, okay. 40 minutes left. Okay, <laughs> just thank you. I don't want to be disrespectful of our share times. That's the best part. Uh, so I we were also in a military family and because of the Vietnam, so our healthcare went through the military and that was really particularly cruel institution, the army hospital the way we are treated. We never saw the same doctors. There was all, they didn't follow the rules. I was alone with men all the time without my parents present, who scared me a lot and sometimes intentionally. And I caught cephalitis, chicken pox, and strep throat all at the same time, which caused me to be hospitalized for a couple of months, which felt like eternity. There were so many strict rules in the army hospital. One, which makes no logical sense to me whatsoever was that I was not allowed to wear any clothes. So naked, they tore, ripped, they literally cut my clothes off and I threw a blanket on me and for, that was the, um, and I was at the age, age seven, where you really start to know that you're different than boys. And the men in, in were nurses that were just, A rotation, it was an ongoing rotation of different men to change me to wash my hair, to take me to go to the bathroom. And I had a near death experience, I chose to come back to my body, the doctors had told my family, she made she's likely not going to make it through the night. And I did, I did leave my body and chose to come back. I saw it and I knew how sad it was going to make my family. So I chose to come back to this place for more abuse. Just kidding. Sometimes I'm able to laugh at my sarcasm. It comes from my teenager parts, of course. And, and then there's times when I'm sarcastic towards myself, where I use that sarcasm as the way a critical parent would use like I might drop saying something, and I'll be like, "Good job, you got a real gift there." And I don't think that's something I would naturally say to a friend of mine or a child that I might be looking or watching out for. So I've been re-correcting myself on that. And I and I heard one day, and this changed me big time. This is very recently. I heard my little children say, "Mommy," and I was like, "Yes." They're like I don't know what it means. And I. And then I, I said, what do, you know, what do you mean? They're like, we don't know what it means. And then one of my older children, who is 12 and very connected to the younger ones, better than I am actually, because she kind of showed up to help out, will say they don't understand sarcasm and it kind of scares them. So I'm trying to be kinder in that manner too and choose my sarcastic witty moments more appropriately because i don't want to lose that part of myself my teenager is a really funny chick once i got to know her she hated me for a long time because i shoved her in a closet when i decided to get married and be responsible and at this age i decided to create a character that was the wife and wife I met recently and I have not given that part of myself a lot enough attention. So I can seriously disassociate into duties really fast and I'm not in my emotions. I'm just in a dutiful person. And I spoke with her briefly and wow, there were so much a reservoir tears there that I wasn't able to handle it. And I, but I did hear her say, I want an, I want a different name. She doesn't want to be called a position. So because I didn't deal with her in that moment, I've had a hard time getting back to her. And that's one of the things I wanted to share as important today is that if you get the chance to recognize how emotionally you are upset, I know some of us it takes a while to get in touch with emotions, which is what we're doing here in ACA, but to do that pause. And to say, who's talking? How old are you? Is there a story of pain that you need to share with me? I'm listening. And it's really hard for me to do that because I am programmed to self-abandon myself and my emotional needs to not talk. And all of those little parts of me are programmed to not talk, to not share, to not trust. So my best effort is to be a loving, I call myself the mom of my children and our father is God, the creator. And when I'm not a good mama, and I can go to our parent and say, what do I need to do here? What do I as the loving parent need to receive from you, the creator of me, to be able to pass on and parent these children. And I said this in another meeting, and I got such a good response about it that I wanted to share it with you too to think about it as like this if if social services came to you and said come down to the station we've got your kids here and you need to pick them up when you got to that place and realized that you had lost neglected your children and took them home what do you think they would be saying to you do you think would you be surprised if there were some mad ones that were asking where the F were you or some really just sad ones that just want to cry or maybe some needy ones that want to cling to you because they've just been out in the like outer wilderness of your soul or the mute ones the, the, the little ones that need our time just as much need my time just as much that are mute they, I was not fully verbal and I was already dealing with sexual abuse Not really sure why my mom didn't think that finding blood in my panties was something to not investigate, but I guess that's the mid-70s for you. It's not the same same awareness as there is today. The reason I spoke to you about that seven-year-old experience is because that horror full experience came really hand came in very handle handy for me as an adult and the reason that that's important is because I really and truly in my recovery which has been I started ACA in 1994 thank god and um, I've been in therapy uh that entire time as well and psychotherapy and psychiatrists I've really worked hard I've been aware that I needed help I'm not going to walk around with a broken arm and say, it'll heal by itself. <laughs> maybe but it's not going to be too functional. I'd like to be functional. I only get one life, one body, one soul, one personality, or maybe more, <laughs> but we're getting integrated. And I would like to continue to be a reflection of God's personality. And I do believe that every single one of us is a sliver of that personality. When believing in that, my true, authentic self, is a sliver of uh, something much higher than me, and when I'm authentic, I'm honoring that, and that just reminds me of the really basic commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. If I don't, I can love you, but I got to love myself, and I need to also love God with all my heart and soul and body and mind and spirit. And I have, I hope that's not triggering for anyone because I grew up in a religious abusive situation too, so I do very much understand trigger words like scripture or God or Jesus, who I, I still have to say Yeshua because that one even sends my triggers out. I was abused by a religious mother who would put me in scratchy dresses and take me to church where I was like the star singer since I was age four. And I thank the Lord for that stage because that was my safest place. Uh, my appointed moment in life where no one could hit me, no one could hurt me, the the spotlight was on me, the mic was in my hand, the audience was attentive, what else are they going to do in that small of a town? And I, I love the destiny of that. The story that I'm going to tell you, and I hope this isn't a trigger for anyone, of how our pain can end up rescuing us and making us better people is i got kidnapped when i first moved out here i was 19 years old i was a professional working model and actress i went to an acting school that was hard to get into and very popular and i was so excited i went to venice beach i thought it was the coolest thing ever because it was very unconservative like where i grew up and i being a little kid 19 year old from kansas found that didn't understand how safe that was, unsafe that location is, and so I told a painter. I, I, I'm imagining I told him where I went to acting school because that was where he managed to kidnap me. And so I was broad daylight, really popular area, Sunset and Santa Monica Boulevard. It was Lee Strasberg Theater Institute, and he. I woke up on a medical table in a dungy room with all the curtains drawn. Every window had bars on it, a thousand locks on the door like New York City, naked, as he was taking off my panties. So my first reaction was to be terrified and to say, so please don't touch me alone. Oh my god. And I went into just terror. And he this only enraged him further. So I quickly learned that instantly, survival trait, I cannot react this way. So I did a surveillance of the area, asked if I could use the restroom. He was so casual about me using the restroom that I was certain there was absolutely no way out of this building, his home as we're painting. He's painting me by the way. So this was his obsession. So he's painting me coming and abusing me. I'm trying to not freak out. He wants to drug me. I'm able to get out of that. And He shows me paintings of the other women that he had painted and I knew that they had not survived by the, he was very gifted, incredibly talented. I knew that those women had not survived. I could see it in the painting, in the eyes. I could smell the smell of death in the room and the true danger that I was in. And so when I realized what level of death I was facing, I started, he thought I was someone else. Okay. He kept calling me someone else. He kept calling me Ariel, Ariel, Ariel. I and I just said, I'm not Ariel. He'd freak out. Okay. Now I'm going to be Ariel. I don't know what that means. I'm just going to. So I started seeing things and I said, I see in my mind's eye, I can only think it was just survival visions of a uh, river and camping site in the summertime. So I said, Oh, do you remember that time we went camping and and we had the river? It was so nice, wasn't it? And he's like, Ariel, I knew it was you, I knew it was you. And so I was like, Okay, okay, this is working. And at one point he says, Do you want to see a picture that I painted when I was five? I am willing to do anything to keep from being touched by this man and molested. So I just say, sure, yes. He brings out a painting and I realize in this moment that he is truly gifted. He says he paints it when he's 5 and I said, "Wow, that's a really amazing painting. I forgot I'm naked. I forget. I just really am an artist." That's like, "Wow, I must have switched into some little kid of me." And he was like, "You like it?" I said, "Wow, oh, you're so talented. Your mother must have been so proud of you." Now I just hit the target of why he wants to hurt women. So, he starts raging and says, no, she was really cruel to me. She was mean to me. So instead of me going into fear, I decide to connect with him on a human to human level, my child to his child. And I didn't even know I was had these parts yet. I'm only 19. This is kind of what sent me more into recovery. Uh, I said, well, I'm so sorry that your mother was really mean to you. She was really mean to me, too. And he was like, Really? And I was like, Yeah, it's not nice. And he was like, No, it's not. And I said, If I were your mother, I would have been really proud of you because you're so talented. And as soon as I connected to him that way, I knew there was a chance I was going to live. And this is the power of not being a reactor, not being a reactor and being an actor. It can be life survival important in the world. And I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just saying this is a powerful tool that we have here. So long story shorter, I was able to convince him that if I could go home and dream that I would be able to remember everything about us and I wouldn't be scared of him to touch me anymore. So he was like, sure, take a nap I, said, I think I just need to go home and sleep in my own bed and then I will. Be able to remember and it'll be great. And then I won't be afraid when you when you touch me and you can finish the painting. It'll be awesome. So he hesitated. I finally got him. There's more to the story that's really trip out. Not good. But I'm not going to drag you out through that. So I he agrees to give me my clothes. And this was the hardest part of all. Again, with the reaction and the power of survival, the power of people like us is that I was able to control my physical body. I could not shake. I couldn't let a bead of sweat fall down my temple because then he would knew I was faking him out and that I really was afraid. So I would control my body and put my clothes on with no hands shaking and slowly walk to the door through what seemed like slow motion of all of the unlocking. He had me for five hours, which felt like five months. Every minute was forever 10 minutes to me. And I got out, I was a track athlete, state player, and I knew if I walked slowly at some point when I began running, he would not be able to catch me and that's what happened. I have a complete trauma blackout running till I'm at a payphone calling for help and the next thing I'm in an emergency room. So that man was an... uh, was not caught because I was afraid of police, because the police showed up to our door regularly when my parents weren't home, which I answered as the hero child because of my rebellious brother, and I was terrified of police. I pictured my 19-year-old self having to relive this story, tell it over and over, possibly on, like, the witness stand or something, Felt like it would still be my fault. This is all connected to being raped and abused too. Because I was afraid to tell anybody I was raped when I was 17. I thought my mom would say it was my fault. And I was certain my dad would go kill him. And he would have. He told me that later. Thank you for never telling me who abused you because I would kill them. And I knew it. So I didn't want my brothers or any of us living without a father. That's a lot of pressure for a kid. I needed an ACA. The way I found it was because... I had a home intruder and he was in a gang member of the Echo Park gang. I ID those guys from a lineup, put them in prison. This caused me to seek out this rock bottom help. And I found uh, another model that told me about a meeting at a church and I went to it though. I didn't want to. And the night I went, there was a speaker and she was a, psychologist and she specialized in sexual abuse so pretty sure that was no coincidence she started to treat me i laid down my music career because i felt like it was distracting me and it was and i didn't want to be hi i'm td singer songwriter i wanted to be hi i'm td i'm a child of god and i happen to have the gift of singing and songwriting and so to do that, I need to set that down. I got really involved in ACA. My sponsor, who we called mentors at the time, uh, put me in charge. I thought she was nuts. I was like, I cry constantly here. I was called the girl who cries. And in my household, tears weren't allowed. You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. It was my mom's side. My dad's side was like, don't cry. I remember saying to him as a teenager, I'm a female. Ha, we cry. Like, I can't, I'm female. And that's ironic because after he passed away, my, his family came to me and said, the one thing you don't know about your father is that he said, TD is the only son I ever had. Of course, I will never tell my brothers that, but I found the sense of humor in that, And it was only because I walked like him, talked like him, but this put my mother in a very jealous stage because she didn't have that kind of father. She was jealous. And I think that his adoration of me was sometimes crossing the line of emotional incest, which was very horrible for me because I felt like I was my dad's girlfriend sometimes or best friend, the light of his life. He would say, and this only made my mother hate me more. And this caused me as an adult to never feel comfortable to be happy around people because I continuously chose people that were narcissists being the empath that I am and we're just freaking magnets to each other but because I think I love you so much you'll feel better and they're like oh cool I can be a jerk and she'll forgive me yay this is a good (laughs) combination the narcissistic trait was easy for me to be attracted to Because that was my mother. Jekyll and Hyde is actually not just a story. It's actually on the spectrum of narcissism now by psychologists. And the problem with having one of those as an adult, whether it's a family member, partner, business worker, co-worker, any room, whatever those relationships can be in a narcissistic relationship. If you grew up in one of those like I did, it's very hard to get out of them because... Conditioned for him, first of all, we didn't learn to walk on eggshells. We learned to crawl on eggshells. And dealing inside of that is three part. One is Dr. Jekyll. Oh, so charming. So fun to be around. What a cool person. This is the person that drew you in in the first place. It was fun. Then comes Hyde. Hyde wants everything to be exactly his way, super controlling. If it's not, you're the one in the way. You're going to be the target. And the in-between land, which is when is the other shoe going to drop? The way we manage in between those. That's where codependency work is very helpful because detaching with love is very powerful. And sometimes boundaries are the best antidote to that. What I've learned about boundaries, which I've studied a lot since I had no sense of them at all growing up, is that they have there's myths and boundaries. Like if you set one, it's permanent. It'll never change. Not true. You can set one. It can move. Maybe it's not firm enough. Maybe it needs to be firmer. And it's not set in stone. I'm not a bad person that I need to set a a boundary. If I feel resentment towards someone that I love, that means I need to put a boundary in place. When I'm overly upset, that means I need to pause and ask who's upset, what story are you carrying? My parts carry stories of pain and denial. And that's where it would get really confusing for me because in one moment I could be in the grief work, hearing the story of some of my part and trying that integration, letting that part know you're safe now, we're safe now, I can protect you. Letting the critical parent know, I appreciate your hypervigilance, however, it's not needed here anymore, but I do like your perspective, and if you could communicate that to me in a way that I could help keep the kids safe, and we could regroup, I'll parent you, critical parent, are you tired? Because I bet you're really tired by now. That answer, I guarantee you, ask that question, is yes. The loving parent is an easier ride, hard to get there, but worth every moment. And to be good to ourselves, the big red book says there is absolutely no other way that I could have turned out than the way I turned out in this dysfunctional home. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. I am scattered and broken, but I, I didn't come here that way. I had help. <laughs> I had a lot of help to get this way. And it's going to take me a lot of time to get better. And that's why I really encourage us all to be gentle towards ourselves and all of ourselves and to each other, of course. You listening to me for 45 minutes means you can listen. You're a good listener. I can feel the active listening now and I'm very grateful and I appreciate it. And I promise I will active listening, listen back to you. If you listen to three minute shares however many meetings you think you've gone to, just do the pandemic if you want. Count up those minutes. Ask yourself if you do that for yourself. Do you give yourself three minutes of listening or writing? Asking who's in pain, who's, how old are you? What's your story? I had an eight-year-old part of me show up. My brother who was missing, who was abused alongside me, my witness, my comrade, my my baby, sort of. He didn't make it. He went in and out of mental institutions and mental illness and was killed about three weeks ago. And his death is still under investigation. So this program, Saving Lives, is really, really serious and true, just like all the other 12-step programs. Some people call this one the PhD of recovery, and I can kind of understand and see why, because there's this writing from one of the major prophets in the Torah that this line just stuck out to me, and it, for some reason, it's one of my favorite books in Isaiah, and it says, "Does the it, asks, it says, meditate upon this, let me ask you a question. Does the plowman plow the field all day? And When I read that and asked, what does that mean? It seems important. I realized I can't drop seeds of ACA in here until I've plowed the field. There's too many weeds. I have addictions. I have to stop being a workaholic. My, my addiction of choice has been workaholism because I was raised as one. I didn't know any different. I thought, well, and also you get lots of praise for it, don't you? Get that thing called money and prestige, and you're so hardworking. Praise, get praised for it. And I was an exercise alcoholic, and that was connected to workaholism being a model and, and a fitness model. And it's all got connected. It's just as torturous as any of them, though. Like any addiction, it works for a while, it stops working, doesn't it? It's not fun anymore. That's how those became. <laughs> and touring. I stayed in touch with all, I had to um, close or, or pass on the class. It was a live class called New Images, Monday Night Life. It was before uh, the big red book had come out. And so we had a yellow workbook that was called Healing of Dysfunctional Families, New Images. It was taken as, from Tony A's information and expanded. And I liked the expansions and that was my first understanding experience. So I tend to really think of this as a spiritual program indeed the class uh grew to 120 people and we kept outgrowing the location so that was fun and it was the most rewarding five years of my life i got beaten into a coma by some random stalker a few years ago and when I came out of the coma of nine concussions, I was awake in the coma. If you ever meet someone that's in a coma, please read them a book, talk to them. They might be able to hear. It. I could. That wasn't fun. I made a decision I was coming back, wasn't going to lose my eyesight, wasn't going to have a speech impediment, and refused to have a uh, physical limp. So, do you believe in faith too? But the coma really was a big setback for me, for my PTSD and my brother passing. My husband, a really big. The only way I can describe that is that I feel like my parts got like a pinata split open or confetti is just everywhere. And so now I'm like this octopus, like trying to pull all my parts back into integration. They all have different opinions about the loss of their brother. But I know that this works. I know that this works. I know that self-care works and I have to prioritize myself. And for this, these tragedies, I have become grateful because I don't think I would have had the opportunity to meet you. When I came out of the coma and I needed help, the ACA people were the first people to knock on my door and bring me food and drive me to appointments and drive me to the police station to make reports and to the victims of violent crime. And some of them slept on my bed to wake me up every 30 minutes because you can't fully sleep for a while. You might slip back into a coma and to make sure I was drinking enough water. It's an amazing group of people. My best friends I have met here. I'm not saying that just because someone totes around the ACA or shows up to meetings that you should tell them you're everything and make them your best friend or give them keys to your house or your heart. But there are some really good pickings out here. So I really encourage you to use the phone list. If you're not on it, doesn't mean you can't use it. I use it all the time, shamelessly. That's the name of the group I started. When those gang members came into my house and I id them from a lineup, they decided to retaliate, stole my car, stalked me, I was hiding under the bed, stole keys to my house, trying to use them again, my portfolio was taken. Now they're pointing me out in the street. Oh, look, there she is. She's the one that lives there. So I knew I had to move. I started praying, God, please give me a, and I just hollered out a guest house with windows in the yard for my dog in a safe neighborhood I could afford. Amen. And I forgot I prayed it. And the next day I was booked on a shameless, uh, a shameless <laughs> payless. a Payless shoe commercial, got there. After seeing my car was stolen, I took a cab there. And one of the other actors on set was talking about this church he went to, how much God talked to him. I was scared of other people that talked about God or church. And, but I wanted, I knew I needed help. I went, he spoke of this neighborhood called Granada Hills, which I had never heard of in Los Angeles, but I decided to drive out there. I went there. I liked the church music. I don't like the people. I like the music. Went home, found bullet casings on my porch and specifically left. I'm certain for me as a threat. And the next day I'm working on a modeling job. The photographer and I had worked together before. He says, Hey, TV, what's happening? And I told him what was happening. I need a safe place to live. It's getting really scary. 911 operators are not even coming anymore. They think I'm making this stuff up because the neighborhood's overridden with crime. So he tells me, my dad has a guest house with in Granada Hills. I'm like, that's strange. I just went there yesterday and it wasn't. Oh, it's probably too far for your auditions. No, nope, wasn't too far, it only took me 20 minutes. All right, let's go see it. Next day, go to see the place. Four acre property, orange orchard from the 50s, across the street from the church, yard, windows for the dog. I mean, windows and yard for the dog. And I could make, the rent was so incredibly, inexpensive I could make it working one hour as an on-camera person it was the hugest relief and I thought at first no one's ever going to come visit me out here God's like yeah good idea (laughs) it's a journey and with musicians and drug dealers (laughs) so I changed my life met a model that introduced me to the ACA group that was called overcomers we changed the name to Monday night life called it life development. And that changed my whole world. And I knew it was because of that prayer, the church was actually trying to buy that property and make it a parking lot. (laughs) So I couldn't ignore that sign. And there were so many to follow after really committing to getting better into the spiritual program and using I love the daily meditation book Do you like it. It's just such a good Kickstart, right, to get to the good stuff and the the big red book you need to read. Oh, goodness sakes, the Loving Parent Guidebook. I could not more highly recommend that. And I also wanna tell you that your your trauma is is your secret superpower, believe it or not. I'm not saying enjoy it and I'm not minimizing it. it It'll cause you, cause me to be able to connect to people I maybe never would have been able to connect to. To know what to say. And people, you can feel it when somebody feels your pain. They're not just saying it or nodding along. You can feel when someone's been there. That alone is the best antidote to the excruciating and incredibly feeling endless loneliness that children of trauma go through. We are not alone. We have all of ourselves, we have each other, we have material, we have. M- the arts we have ways to let our kids I let my kids eat popsicles we haven't gained weight I buy them presents this is some of our recent presents we I this is since my brother passed away he was my he always called himself my dragon and that I was his magical fairy so this is what I hug when I'm having memories of him and it helps a lot this is something my really little children wanted the other day after we passed. And when I hugged this, sometimes I remember when I'm remembering now what it felt like to hear him being abused and not wanting to just the pain of not being able to protect him, but more now the connection of how I felt, the pain that that caused me to hear that. And that's when I hugged this little piggy that I named Willie because both of my grandparents nickname was Willie. And this is my little octopus because I watched the octopus teacher on Netflix. And if you haven't seen it, Oh my gosh, you're going to love it. It's so amazing. And, and I feel like this, I feel like I have like lots of parts all connected to the same part and that I do need to camouflage and hide like octopus do. And in the octopus teacher just to let your little children know, if you choose to watch it, the shark does not kill the octopus. So don't be scared. And I kid a lot, too. I used to hide in the hamper until the arguments were done. I used to hide in the lazy Susan behind all the cans. I could wait my parents out, yo. They were going to give up on me before I was going to get (laughs) filmed. until it was like they forgot about it or something. But we are the most unique, most blessed, most incredibly resilient people. I like to think of us as unicorns. Because I think we are so colorful and beautiful and different and so same, same issues, different backgrounds, different ages, different races, different culture, different economic situations. And yet we share the same feelings as family. And I want to read this to you. This is from a book that my grandmother gave me that her family read. It was written in its excerpts as a devotional uh, called Streams in the Desert. It's written by Mrs. Cohen back in the day when women didn't even ever mention their first name because they were the Mrs. of a man. And she's so humble that she won't even let us know when it's her quote, which is cute. Uh, But here is what speaks to me about our sorrow and pain being so both important. As the opening line says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrow was beautiful, but her beauty was the beauty of the moonlight shining through the leafy trees of the trees in the wood and making little pools of silver here and there on the soft green moss below. When sorrow sang, her notes were like the low, sweet call of the nightingale, and in her eyes was the unexpectant gaze of one who has ceased to look for coming gladness. She could weep in tender sympathy with those who weep, but to rejoice with those who rejoice was unknown to her. Joy was beautiful too. But his was the radiant beauty of the summer morning. His eyes held, still held the glad laughter of childhood in his hair and the glint of the sunshine's kiss. When joy sang his voice, it soared upward as the larks and his step was the step of a conqueror who has never known defeat. He could rejoice with all who rejoice, but to weep with those who weep was unknown to him. So we can never be united, said Sorrow wistfully. No, never, said Joy's eyes shadowed as he spoke. My path lies to the sunlight meadows, the sweetest roses bloom for all my gathering, and the blackbirds and thrushes await my coming to pour forth their most glorious lays. My path, said Sorrow, turning slowly away, leads to the darkening woods with moonflowers. Only shall my hands be filled. Yet the sweetest of all earth's songs, the love of the sound of the night, shall always be mine. Farewell, joy, farewell. Even as they she spoke, they became conscious of a form standing beside them, dimly seen but having the presence of the king, and a great and solid stole over them as they sank on their knees before him. I see him as the king of joy, whispered Sara. For on his head are so many crowns. His hands and feet are wounded from scars and great victory before him. All my sorrow is melting away into deathless love and gladness, and I give myself to him forever. Nay, sorrow, said joy softly. I only see him as the king of sorrow, and the joy and the crown on his head is a crown of thorns and the nail prints in his hands of great agony. I, too, give himself, myself to him forever, for sorrow with him must be sweeter than any joy I've ever known. Then we are one in him, they cried in gladness, for no one but he could reunite joy and sorrow. So, hand in hand, they pressed into the world with their higher power through storm and sunshine, in the bleakness of winter joy, which was cold, and the warmth of summer gladness, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And I just love to start my day thinking about that. And when I hear that same old question, what's wrong with you? I answer it. Nothing is wrong with me. I am exactly where I am supposed to be. I have no regrets because that would be prideful. That would be me. That would mean that I thought I could do better. And I have to surrender. I am not a good driver of this bus. But with the help of the person that made the bus... And the discipline and the joy to check in, I think it's going to be all right. It is getting better. I can feel myself getting better. I know that's happening to you too. Thank you so much for listening. There were so many more things I wanted to share, but this is just the way it goes, right? (laughs) Thanks, guys.